Welcome to the Everyday Innovator Podcast for product managers, leaders, and innovators. Your host is Chad McAllister, helping you become a product master. Listen and get ready for higher performance, for the doctor is in. Hi, this is Chad, and this is where product leaders and managers become product masters, gaining practical knowledge, influence, and confidence so you'll create products customers love. Product testing is about more than determining if a product functions properly or not. A larger perspective, and one that our guest shares, is customer validation. I think it's a term that they put together in this context. We discuss how to use the various types of product tests, including alpha, beta, and delta tests, to judge product performance, customer satisfaction, and ongoing areas for improvement. Our guest is Luke Freiler, CEO and co-founder of CentraCode. Luke has spent most of his career improving product testing. CentraCode is a customer validation solutions provider that helps tech companies bring products to market. And if you hear anything during the discussion that you want to go back to, remember that we take notes for you. We also prepare an action guide to help you take more immediate action on the concepts. That's a PDF you can download. You'll find both of those resources at theeverydayinnovator.com slash 296. Hope you check it out. Now, let's talk with Luke. Luke, thank you for joining the Everyday Innovators. Thank you for having me, sir. I'm anxious to talk about testing. It's not a topic we have uh, dove in seriously much on the podcast, and a really important one. My background is software products, but I work across all kinds of industries now. And somewhere along the way, you became a testing expert. How did that happen? Sure. So er- early in my career, I actually entered the, the workforce very young, and my first job was at Samsung. And at Samsung, I was actually a, a junior hardware engineering, which or junior hardware engineer, which primarily meant I was focused on, on testing hardware products. And it was during that that I actually shifted gears a little bit and I fell in love with software, specifically through the, the very early rise of the internet. This is in 1996, and the internet was new and, and exciting. And, and for me, as a, as a very young person trying to figure out what I loved, I Im- immediately fell in love with that. Moved into a software group, then a bunch of us moved over to a company called Ericsson. And by that time, I was running a web team. And the part of the web that had really stuck out to me was a brand new field at the time called usability. Mm-hmm. And usability was brand new. There was like the the Mason Norman group that, that was really focusing on it. And it was just this idea that that, hey, this technology we've all been building it should be easy to use. It should be friendly. It should be something that that regular people can take advantage of. And as a kid that spent my entire teen years supporting the neighborhood's printers and networks and computers, you know, as well as my school's networks and computers, this really stuck out to me. It was almost selfish in a sense of I never really particularly enjoyed the troubleshooting part. I just thought things should work. So I fell in love while I was at Ericsson with this idea of of usability and, and what eventually became user experience. And that just became something I was really passionate about. Well, at a certain point, a product manager came to me and said, hey, I need you to run a beta test for this product we're working on. And it was this $50 million sort of small office, home office product. It was going to sell at Best Buy and Circuit City at the time. And he said, I need you to run a beta test for it. And I said, okay, what does that mean? And he said, well, we need to get customers to test it. I said, okay, I know what that means. What does it mean in the context of, of Ericsson? How do we do that? And he said, well, best I can tell, we don't really have a process. And I said, you know, we're a 100,000 person, 100 year old tech company. We release 100 products a year. You're telling me we have to do this, but we don't have a process. At the same time, we have a you know, four inch guide on how to use the logo. How, how is it possible that that's the case? And he's like, look, man, I don't know. If you can figure it out, just do it. 
I said, okay, can I outsource it? He said, sure, I can get you a budget. I said, okay, I'll go outsource it. I went around looking for solutions and I, I sort of realized I'd found a hole. There, there was one company that's long since gone that was offering as a service, but that was it, nobody else. And I started to kind of network out and, and sort of figure out how other companies were trying to solve this problem. And the reality was nobody'd solved the problem, but everybody had it. And what I, what I felt I had discovered at that point was a necessary evil. It was something that, that everybody had a challenge with. They felt they had to do it, but they hated it. It was, it was really rough. And, you know, in hindsight, the idea of, hey, I have a, a hundred broken products and I need to go find strangers to give them to and expect, you know, meaningful feedback that turn it into a more successful product. It's just a tall order. And I, I sort of discovered that and I realized how well it aligned with what my passion was. The, the idea that that technology should be more accessible. Well, why not use customers to get there? And so I, I basically, after a lot of networking to figure out that it was a real problem, I, I convinced a, a few people that I worked with. I convinced my boss, as well as two of my engineers on my, my web team to, to go out and start a company to do this. And, you know, my, my timing is, is pretty much always terrible. Uh, we did this in 2001 and the internet bubble just burst and the internet was the enemy of the people, you know, from, from a finance perspective. So there was no raising money. You know, we bootstrapped it and I was 21 at the time. So it was it was pretty crazy. But uh, yeah, so from there, through brute force, we learned everything we could. And we've been doing this for, for 19 years since. We, we have an incredible sort of portfolio of customers and kind of a, the pedigree that came with working with so many amazing companies. And we've just learned a lot and gained so much wisdom in that time. So, you know, I definitely don't think I was I was any form of guru on day one, but I can honestly say we've been engaged in, in more sort of product categories and audiences than, than any company on earth, you know, in this type of testing, which has given us an amazing sort of peripheral view of, of what's going on. Yeah, 19 years of experience. Yep. And started with beta testing. And so yep. beta testing is traditionally when we get customers, external yep. people involved. Yep. And now you've expanded into other kinds of testing, which will I want to talk through that. Sure. Um, but first, there was something that stood out in the messaging when I, I looked at your company's website. And you, fr- you put testing in the context of customer validation. Yes. And now what you just talked about, f- kind of that usability lens, helps me understand that a little bit. But I, I'd like for you, you, you to explore that a bit with us yeah. about how you connect customer validation, which I typically think of it as really focused on concept testing. It's that early on aspect of, are we even developing the right product before sure. we actually develop it? But you kind of frame all testing under customer validation, I think. Sort of. So okay. when we when we started zeroing in on the, the term customer validation, we, we did that for, for a very important reason. And it started with an epiphany years ago, probably four or five years ago now, of just how important vocabulary is and just how much of a problem it is in our space. And the reality is, in, in this form of testing, there, there was never a standard. It, it was incredibly fragmented. And it goes back to our initial experience. The story I told uh, about Ericsson is, is sort of the story of, of most companies, at, at that time at least, in that everybody was creating it as they went. And at CenterCode, once we did a, a survey of a, a few hundred companies, and we asked them what they even call this type of, of sort of customer testing, bring, giving a real product to real customers over time, collecting feedback. We asked them what they call it, and we got over 90 different terms. And, and to us, that was this eye-opening thing of like, hey, how can we build a business? How can we help people build careers? How do you get a job if there's 90 names for what you do? And, and beta was a very prolific one, but there was you know UAT and field testing. They were all variants. They were all ambiguous. They didn't have a framework. They didn't have a methodology. They were just a concept. So 
one thing, and it was very strategic for us, was we needed to pick something that wasn't widely used and was sort of close enough that when people came to the table, they could kind of figure it out. But we were also resetting the conversation. And by that, meaning we didn't want to actually zero in on beta. Beta, right down to the start of the, my, my first story up there, has been something that, that's never had a very positive connotation for product managers. You know, more than half of product managers run their own beta tests. You know, 75 to 80% of them um, have a pretty big stake in the beta test. But pretty much everyone agrees there's a lot of friction and it's not not particularly a fun process. Yeah. And it's um, also often the thing that the project is too late to actually do, right? It, they exactly. do alpha it, testing and they throw it across it, the wall. It, exactly. So so we wanted to do a couple things. We wanted to establish a better vocabulary. We also wanted to establish some some methodology that that could scale and, and be adaptable to any company and give them a head start. I mean, that that was a very meaningful thing to us. So for us, we sat down and said, okay, we've been doing this longer than anyone. We have a bigger sort of customer base and, and more relationships with than, than anyone in this space. So we have some power in, in terms of this vocabulary and, and solving this problem. And we're sort of primed to do that. So we basically said, okay, customer validation is going to be our umbrella term. And it's going to be an umbrella term for, for the various ways that we engage with customers as we develop a product. And more importantly, and this is something we've been thinking and, and focusing a lot lately, is the concept of beta testing is very old. And the sort of basic version of it really aligns with the way products used to be developed, not the way they are. Mm -hmm. You know, the way products used to be developed was waterfall, big effort, run a beta, get the product out, start focusing on the next product. And with Agile and everything that surrounds it, that just isn't the case anymore. So... So again, we wanted to sort of distance the messaging from just beta. Beta was a bit antiquated. It still had a place, but it was a bit antiquated. So for us, customer validation was, was basically three forms of testing. And this is something that we've been evolving. We, we work with customer working groups and, and we evolve it. But it, it's been this, this concept of, yeah, we have an early alpha where it's, it's focused on quality. And really, alpha is a very simple concept. It's just you want to make sure the product works before you give it to a lot of customers, right? <laughs> You don't want to run a beta with an expensive product that's difficult to find these customers and, and have some major blockers that inhibit, you know, 70, 80% of your beta testers. So you run an alpha exclusively to, to stop that problem from happening. So alpha is purely quality. Beta is then about satisfaction. But the big area that, that we're innovating and, and what we see as the future is, is delta testing. And in delta, we see as ultimately a replacement for beta. It's basically a continuous test with a very explicit methodology, sort of a concept of breaking what you want up into features that each have sort of an exploratory activity associated with them, communicating that to testers, having them test those things, gather very explicit types of feedback on those. What are the issues in the product? What ideas do they have for the product? What do they, they praise about the product? So, so those are kind of our three big buckets of feedback that we want to be actionable, prioritizable. We want them to be something you can actually work with. But most importantly is Delta happens continuously. You know, the, the name is, is self-reflective or, or self-descriptive. It's about testing the difference between any two things. So if I'm going to release a, a new revision of a product, then, then Delta is about testing what's new. What's, what's important about this is sort of what's really changed in, in technology in, in the last decade and a half. And, and this is something, again, we think and talk about a lot, but you know, we look at it as a number of big moving parts. One, products have gotten dramatically more sophisticated. You know, virtually every product that comes out today is building on, on years of ideas at this point. Yeah. So, so the product is more difficult, which means there's a lot more that can go wrong. Products are now more connected than ever, meaning it's very rare you release a product, hardware or software, that doesn't rely on another product to perform successfully, right? If I'm putting 
an app on a phone has to work on different phones. It typically talks to other apps and all sorts of things. The hardware is even worse, right? It used to be a thermostat did thermostat things for a decade. Now a thermostat is something you can talk to and then it talks to Alexa and then tells your you know, pool heater to go on. Like it's just this infinite web of, of equipment that most manufacturers don't have control over the majority of. And then finally, and this is the one I alluded to with Delta, this is the one that really sparked Delta's existence is you don't really make products in a traditional sense anymore. You make services now. Um, you know, every product is continuous and, and, and it keeps going. That thermostat being the perfect example right? You, you used to be, you put that thermostat on the wall. It didn't talk to a server. It didn't talk to the company. It didn't share information. Now it does. And those things have to keep evolving because as that web gets bigger, it has to keep supporting them. So, you know, you take a, a, a company like, like Roku that's on, you know, one out of three TVs that, that come to market right now, and there's new TVs coming to market every month. Their platform team has to worry about that, has to think about that. So, so for us, that's sort of the, the future is this, this concept of Delta testing. So, you know, alpha is, is a very small thing that exists to get you to beta. Beta gets you to market and Delta keeps you going. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, we see the older concepts of a big beta kind of going the wayside and Delta makes much more sense as things get more agile, test early often in this sort of cyclical fashion that goes up until the end of life of the product. So, you know, it's a, a very long answer, but we're, we're trying to build a vocabulary that people can learn on, learn and, and rely on. And again, if you're in this space and you want to go get a job, it really sucks if your resume has to have 90 terms. We would really like to make that easier for everybody. Yep. So customer validation is the umbrella yep. to uh, knit together the testing and improving of products and making them create value for customers. Per- okay. Perfect, sir. Yep. So Delta is the kind of the future. We, we got the vision here. We'll dive into yep. that a little bit more. We'll get back to talking with Luke in just a minute. Product leaders and organizations have a problem. They want their product teams and product managers to be higher performing. It's a challenge. To help them, I created the Rapid Product Mastery Experience, the RPM Experience. RPM Experience creates a broad foundation of product management knowledge, but it goes further by increasing collaboration and developing a customer focus. Recently, I had a feedback session with a company that had a group of product managers go through the RPM experience. Everyone said they would recommend the program to their colleagues. They appreciated how they were able to apply the concepts immediately to their own work as we discussed them. The RPM experience takes place virtually, meeting once a week for nine weeks. It has always taken place virtually, and this is why it's kind of in demand right now, frankly, with all the remote working going on but it is a tool that was made for that environment. If you have a product team or a group of product managers to scale up, check out the RPM experience by going to theeverydayinnovator.com slash RPM. Now we'll talk with Luke. Let me take you back just kind of through the testing levels. And the context here is software sort of products or products like you, you know, Roku or Nest that use service, that use software services as well. They're connected. But I think even outside of that, people manufacturing products that may not be in any way, you know, IoT devices or anything can still get good value out of hearing about the testing activities. And you help, your company helps in all of these. So clearly you have some skills in these. Let's talk about just alpha level testing a little bit and sure. how you've seen that kind of mature and maybe what might be some best practices for alpha testing. Sure. For, for us, alpha the, the important aspect is the focus. And, and the focus really is on, on what we call sort of the technographic ecosystem. It's, you know, whereas demographics describe who people are, technographics describe technology that, that surrounds people and, and surrounds products. 
And, and as I said a moment ago, the, the goal of an alpha is, is to just make sure it hunts, to make sure the product works. And a lot of people look at it as an early beta and, and therefore run a very long alpha and whatnot. That, that's typically not that effective. There's a lot of moving parts. It's hard to track. It's hard to prioritize. We, in, in our world, have a, an extremely similar methodology between all of these types of testing. It's just a few parts change, um, specifically sort of the audience and the goals. For alpha, what is important for us is typically not to necessarily worry about the product being a match for the target market, which when a beta, it's, it's the opposite. And that's something that many people frankly do wrong is, is they just will take any tester they can find. And the reality is feedback from your target market is frankly more valuable than general feedback when it comes to product satisfaction. But when it comes to product quality and you just wanna make it sure it works, it's not so much about the people as it is the technology that surrounds it. So for alpha, it's about targeting diverse ecosystems that are gonna make sure the product works, understanding that the real goal of alpha is in as little time as possible to make sure that when I give this product to real customers, it's gonna work. You know, we definitely think of, of testers as a resource that is highly limited. It's very hard to find good testers, good testers. So if you've got 50 or 100 really engaged, wonderful testers, the last thing you wanna do is lose two thirds of them because they simply can't participate even if they wanted to. Right. So alpha is about making sure a beta is successful. Um, typically what we say is if you don't run an alpha, then your beta is just a really expensive alpha. And, and that's sort of the, the pitch, but, but we're really looking for sort of a short term thing with, with a traditional alpha. Okay. And you said it's hard to find good testers. That's been my experience too, right? We, we often rely on our developers who may not be inherently testers. You, you talked about the diverse ecosystem. I kind of think of that ter in terms of the edge cases too, right? We, we need to test ways that people might use it that we're not expecting. And that's kind of hard to figure out sometimes. How do you go about finding good alpha testers? So for us, the, the answer might be a little different than, than many because we actually have a, a very large network of testers that, that we've built up over the years. So, so we have about a quarter million people. It's a, it's a website called betabound.com. And we actually okay. do make that resource available to anyone. So anybody who wants to promote their product to our community can. That's at no cost. That's, that's actually just sort of part of, of our company is, is that, that major asset. So, so for us, we use that. But so you've it, created a marketplace of testers, so I can go find alpha testers. I wouldn't okay. call it a marketplace in the sense that, that we don't charge for it. <laughs> okay. So, so yes, they, they are there for you. Our, our services and our, our software leverage it as well. And, and that's where we sort of commercialize the company. But, but yes, you, you can go there and, and find okay. testers. Um, absolutely. So, so that's, that's part of our answer. But on top of that, we, we also have a sort of a subset of that community, which we call our ambassadors. And that's sort of an opt-in subset of the community. And the idea is there's a lot of people, and you know, I was one of them when I was very young, many people listening to this are probably this person who are sort of the technologist in the circle, right? Your family, your friends and whatnot, you're the one who, who uses technology. And we rely on them to basically go out and find people who have the problems that whatever products we're looking to release might solve. Understanding that people who might sign up for a community like Betabound might not necessarily be those people. So, you know, we actually stopped calling Betabound a, a community first years ago and started thinking about it as a network because those ambassadors give us access to many, many more people because they want to help improve their, their lives, the people around them. So... You know, if we're testing a product, for example, that might be aimed at a, a subset of an elderly audience, 
that, that would be very hard to find in a traditional sort of system like ours, then we go and look to people like me who have parents and, and would like right. to, you know, make their lives better. So, you know, if you think of the, the goal of technology is to, to improve your life and to solve problems you have, then it's always about finding the people who have those problems. Okay. Um, you know, and you referenced the, the developers and whatnot. The, the way we look at a difference between alpha and beta is, is again, for alpha, we're, we're just focused on quality. We want to make sure right. we have the ecosystems. You know, one thing that we do in, in our platform and in our community is, is we collect that information. You know, we, we, whereas there's a lot of things out there that want to know everything about a person, we want to know everything about their ecosystem. You know, we want to know what game consoles they own and what TVs they own. And, and many of our customers want to know very, very different things, right? Things about factories they have and networks they have. You know, and, and the idea is to collect all of that technographic information so that you can hyper-target when you need it. Mm -hmm. And you can say, okay, I need people who have these diverse 50 different TVs because I want to make sure my new TV service app works on 50 you know, different TVs. So it's just a, a shift of mindset from demographic to technographic is what alpha is about. Okay. So, so th that helps to actually expand my thinking about alpha testing some, because I am I, I was very much stuck in the notion of it's an internal testing. It's testing that we do with internal people. But indeed, if the purpose is to make sure that it works in this variety of situations that we might run into, just technically work, it, it might it very well may make sense to find people who are testers that can help us with that alpha testing. Actually, so so you bring up a really good point, and for us. We typically strive not to use employees for beta tests, but for alpha tests, we would encourage if it's a reasonable thing. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you're talking about a company that, that's large enough to have that many resources who are willing to put in the time, then by all means, use them in an alpha if you can hit the ecosystem targets that you have. Often you don't have those resources available and, right. and we would definitely say, yes, it's, it's perfectly okay to go find the more technical users that want to help shape this product. And, and they will very easily volunteer their time to be a part of that and to get sort of close to this process. It's beta where we, we typically say there's sort of three traits that we're looking for in, in a beta tester. It's, it's a, we're looking for someone who matches the target market, mm -hmm. is enthusiastic enough to actually test and provide feedback, but is also a stranger. And I, I bring that up because that stranger part is a unique uh, attribute and, and requirement of beta that doesn't exist in alpha. So right. alpha very much can be internal employees, but it doesn't have to be. Beta is sort of the opposite. We would prefer not to use employees for beta. There's right. too much of a bias for the demographic target market side. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So just to be clear, so we got alpha testing, trying to make sure that the, uh, the system just works, our product works, our service works. Yes, Fundamentally is technically correct. And we use testers that are motivated to help get that done, whether they're internal or we, supp we supplement that too. Yes. Now, beta testing is more market focused. Now we're trying to identify people that would actually be using the product, ones that we want to sell this to in the future, and yes. how they interact with it. Yes. And crazy things happen when your product goes what I, I call out into the wild, right? When oh, yeah. we release it to the wild, people use our products in unexpected ways and we find out new things. Yep. Walk us through, you helped us with the audience, right? The three characteristics of good beta testers. Yep. Tell us a little bit more about what we're trying to accomplish in that beta test. Sure. So, you know, we, we have a nice graph that shows this. And, and if I can sort of speak to it, we, we kind of think of, of in, the, in the alpha, we're very focused on, on achieving high quality and we're less focused on user experience. And in the beta, the goal is if we ran a good alpha, then our quality is already on the way up and our user experience becomes the focus. So they flip, 
the, the polls flip. And therefore, it's much more about the user experience in those diverse environments, diverse people, and, and bringing it together. So both have some element of user experience and some element of quality, but they, they very much flip. So it's much more about, does this make sense to them? Does this flow work for them? Does everything that you sort of projected that's going to work, work? Um, there is still virtually always bugs in beta, and there's often very critical bugs because you are also typically expanding the ecosystems and the environments. The goal is, of course, to eliminate as much of that problem as, as, or risk as you can. So it turns much more into satisfaction as opposed to quality is, is the way we look at a beta test. Okay. So the focus there is on the user experience yes. and um, satisfaction. Are we solving the customer's problem in a way that they relate to or creating value for them? Yes, exactly. Okay. Okay. And, and how do you structure that to get that sort of feedback? How, how do you actually collect the feedback to know that oh, the customers, you know, the, the, this choice of menu, this choice of feature, the way we walked them through this onboarding process wasn't sure. clear, so whatever it was, right? Yeah. So, so the way we look at it is, is we start with a test plan that's incredibly simple in, in construct. It's basically a list of features we want tested. Each of those features has a very basic description as to what that feature is. And, and by the way, that, that I'm using the term feature, but it could be a feature, an experience. It's, it's something you want tested. So we, we have an idea of what that feature is. We have a, a very brief description that's supposed to serve as a, a level set, a, a touchstone between us and the testers. We then associate effort with it as sort of a number. In our case, we, we rate it with a number of one to five. How much time do we want to put into this? We then rate value to it. How valuable is this feedback going to be? Is this a feature that's very easy to adjust and therefore, you know, we can do it late in the game or is it something that's, for example, security related and it's absolutely critical to our success. So again, one to five scale. And then we have uh, a, a concept of, of an activity. And an activity is just supposed to be a brief sort of exploratory directive of, we want to tell these tester where this feature is and help them get to it and sort of know that it exists. But typically we don't want to be overly directive. It's not a test case, it's not QA. Right. And the goal is to sort of scope or and map your product out into this series of features and get a clear sense of what you want to test. And for a product that's new to market, it might be the entire product. And this is going to happen over the course of weeks. For an agile ongoing development process, it might be a simple sprint and it might be a few changes and it might be some regression and, and just whatever happens to be changing in the product that's creating risk in, in the existing market. So, so the idea is to map it out and then to basically take your testers on a tour of the product over a fixed period of time, leveraging that effort value to figure out how much you can sort of fit into a week, right? And, and that gives me a sense of if everything is a very high effort, then I probably want to spread that, that out. And the, the goal here is to keep testers engaged over a period of time. You know, we, we think of testers as having an energy pool, how much time they're willing to put into this sort of volunteer experience. And it's different for everybody. The first goal is to find people with the highest energy pool for, for your product. They really have the problem you're trying to solve. They're really passionate about it. They want to shape the product. Um, that brings the enthusiasm. And then once we understand what their energy pool is, sort of by recruiting good people, it comes down to how do we then maximize that? And the, the reality is they're going to have new sort of energy over time. So we want to spread out their efforts and keep them engaged in the product. Mm -hmm. And then in doing so, the goal, especially in a platform like ours, is to also have them collaborate and communicate in a confidential environment about the product. And if you just give everybody one product and say, go test, then they're all going to spread out. They're not going to have a lot to sort of collect on, and you're not going to get as many eyes on as much of the product as, as you would ideally prefer. 
So you're basically sort of revealing a, a test plan week by week to your testers and saying, okay, this week we're going to focus on these five features, guys. We want you to go and do these basic activities, which just lead you to the feature, use the feature, and then tell us what you think. And the tell us what you think part is incredibly critical. You know, most companies that, that don't have a, an established process or a mature process are using emails and spreadsheets, and it's incredibly ad hoc. What we look for is, is actionable feedback. You need actionable, prioritized feedback. So I, I mentioned them earlier, but, but there's three things you want out of every one of these tests. What needs to be fixed, what needs to be improved, and what needs to be promoted. And we sort of devise that as issues, ideas, and praise. And the goal is to get them to test something. But then from the result of that, we want to know, based on how they felt about it, which of those three things is ideal to collect. So the way we do it is we actually, for every feature, we ask them to rate their satisfaction on a, on a one to five scale. Mm -hmm. And that aggregate rating is important. We understand the satisfaction of that feature. That's a very valid point. But what we're really doing is using it as a way to direct feedback. If they have a very poor experience, then there's a good chance in a beta they ran into a bug. So we take that as an opportunity to say, okay, you rated it one star. Was there an issue ran into that led to that? If it's two to, to four, it's a little more middling. It might be that they see room for an improvement or they ran into an issue. And if they rated a five, that's a really unique signal. We want to know explicitly what led to that fifth star. So right. we just ask that directly. So what we're doing is we're getting feedback in these three forms that all have very discrete stakeholders within a company that all have sort of an actionability to them. And then the next step becomes prioritizing that feedback, which is another very key aspect of our, our business and, and sort of how we look at the world is not all feedback is created equal. You know, in one extreme, you've got a mainstream security problem that could sink your company. On the other right. side, you might have, you know, a cosmetic pet peeve by a guy who, you know, happens to, you know, have OCD, you know, and, and unfortunately, if you're looking at a spreadsheet, those two issues take up the same amount of space. Right. So it's very important to be able to prioritize those issues. Yeah, you, you need the rating to come back. Okay. If it's okay with you, we're going to run it just a little bit long because I want to... Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> get, get, no, we're good. This is really good. But I want to give listeners some maybe some practicality of implementing a alpha beta test. And then we're going to dive into Delta here in just a moment. Sure. Um, <clears throat> so let's say we're, we have our next software as a service release, major release coming out. And in our schedule, we are down to, because of the, the way the reality is, we have six weeks to yeah. do whatever testing we're going to do, fix whatever we think we're going to fix, and try to get that release out the door. How would you make use of that six weeks? You said I th something earlier that I thought was really important for listeners that I want to emphasize, and that's that companies spend often too much time in alpha testing. And I would agree with that because the, the valuable feedback is when we actually have our, ex it's out in the wild, right? We have our external people looking at it. But if you had that six weeks, how would you structure that? So I, I know you picked six weeks as an arbitrary number, but, but one of the sort of misconceptions of our space is, is how much time you need. So for us, if you take the average beta test for us, an average beta test is three weeks. Okay. An average alpha test is about two. Okay. So in this example you just gave me, you, you can take a week off. You know, it, it's really not that time consuming to, to do what we do. An alpha test can cover a lot over the course of a couple weeks. Now, again, there's a different discussion on, on using beta much, or sorry, using delta much earlier and having a continuous uh, sort of testing where, where this is less relevant, less of an issue. But the, the reality is you don't need a lot of time. In, okay. in three weeks with a good customer set, you can get an enormous amount of very high value prioritized feedback. It's, it's not an incredibly time-consuming thing. 
So, so that, and again, I know it was an arbitrary number that, that was picked there, but you don't need a lot of time to get this done. And then once you release, again, you're going to continue to release, then it's just purely kind of week-based testing or, or bi-weekly or monthly, whatever your sprints happen to be. It, it works alongside parallel to that existing development. If you think of it as I'm developing something well, then I'm, I'm going to release to Delta. Then I start developing the next thing. And then that Delta goes live. And then the next thing I develop goes to Delta. And there's just a cycle. It just works right. alongside Agile. Right. So thinking about it as... You know, one of the, the common misconceptions of beta, one of these sort of old school ways of thinking is I need to get my product done and ready for beta. And then I've got six weeks of just focusing on beta. And it's really never that. It's a much more parallel process. Right. Okay. And, and in that timeline, also, we're, we're getting the feedback. We're, we know what to focus on. We are fixing the problems, right? We're identifying what needs to be improved. Maybe we're pulling out what needs to be promoted. And, and we can send that to marketing to include in our copy. But that five-week schedule you're finding is realistic to try to get all that done. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Excellent. Good. That, that's very helpful. So, and then on a, the ongoing basis, delta testing, when you teed this up before, this sounds very much like we're collecting data, uh, you know, uh, all the time about our product. I've had the founders of, of Pindo be part of the podcast before, which is, you know, very much da- let's make data-driven decisions and collect data. Awesome. Awesome product. Um, similar sort of notion, only testing focus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so what Pendo does primarily is a focus on the, the, the long tail of you've got a lot of data out there, people using your product, and you want to use that to shape your roadmap. Mm-hmm. Great concept, great idea. Um, what we're focused much more on is the, the next version of the product and, and the issues that, that it might have and directing testers to engage specifically with that. So in other words, something I talk about a lot in our space is the difference between big data and small data. Right, Pendo can sort of focus on on big data to a sense of you've got a big customer base and, and there's a lot of opportunity to get feedback from from customers using the live product and, and shape your, your roadmap. That's that's big data. When it comes to quality issues, if you've got big data about quality issues, you're screwed. <laughs> it's too late. So we talk about okay, how do we maximize small data? You know, because with that big data comes risk in our space. So for us, it's about taking, again, it's always about testing the next release that isn't out yet and ensuring that you've got coverage on that release. So, you know, in a continuous process, there's definitely a lot of feature flagging and whatnot that goes on and, and platforms that, that help with that. In our world, we would complement that and basically handle the orchestration of the testers to make sure you actually get that feedback, that it's in actionable forms, that it's prioritized, that it gets into whatever your system of truth is, say Jira or whatever else. So it's much more of a program in working with these testers in a continuous fashion to make sure that what you're about to release is going to work well and that we don't have a big data problem. Okay. So this is a poor analogy because we're not doing this random at all, but similar to an A-B test where we might segment out some portion of our users and say, we're going to give them something new to look at and see what the response is. You've identified Delta testers and you're giving them the new version of, of of the service and you're going to collect data from them. And I assume you're collecting data just like you talked about in the beta test that you know you're looking for this ranked data that comes back about what's what needs to be fixed, what needs to be improved and what we can we promote. Yeah, so so we align th- this concept aligns very well with with AB testing. That actually gets into the kind of the feature flagging type concept I was talking about a minute ago, which is y- you can definitely say I I have the the A is what, you know, the majority has and the B is my my subset that I'm specifically testing on or 
neither of these are released and I want to do A-B testing, mm. but orchestrate this, I, I wouldn't recommend doing A-B testing for anything quality based. <laughs> that wouldn't make a lot of sense because, you know, th those are uh, objective issues. Mm -hmm. But we, we see a lot of people leveraging A-B as part of what we do for the user experience side, for example. It might be that we have two uh, concepts and again, we need to orchestrate these users to get them through it, to get their feedback and so on. So there might be an AB within a Delta test as an example. You know, when it, within our platform, we have segmentations and teams and I can have different features go to different teams and things like that, that, that would allow you to make those distinctions. Okay, very good. So, and the wave of the future is Delta testing, continuous testing of new capabilities, getting but feedback. Cer cer certainly our belief, yes. Okay. Good. Thank you for walking through the, the testing mechanisms or, you know, starting with, there with the umbrella of customer validation. This is all about making more value for the customer, something important to us as product managers. Absolutely. And then alpha testing internal, make sure the quality is there, that things work. Beta testing focused on the user experience and, the, and how they're interacting with it. So that's match the market. And then delta testing is more continuous waves of we're releasing features, we're getting feedback, we're making things better. Yes, sir. Perfect. Okay. Very good. As listeners know, I love innovation quotes. What, what quote do you have for us? And tell us why you chose that one. Absolutely. And this was an incredibly easy pick for me. There's a quote by a gentleman I admire very, very greatly, which is Douglas Adams, the, the guy who wrote Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Okay. And he once said that technology is a word for something that doesn't work yet. Hmm. And I absolutely love that. I think it's very true. You know, the, the story I, I tell that that's just puts that into perspective, why it's so important to me is, is I wear contacts, right? Nothing special, millions and millions of people do, but without them, I'd be blind. I wouldn't be able to see, I wouldn't be able to have my job, I wouldn't be able to drive, I, I would be literally blind. My vision is horrible, but I got them in right now and my vision is 2020. Mm -hmm. um, at one point, they were the pinnacle of technology. They were life-changing. I mean, I can't say there's a lot of other things in my life that, that make me not handicapped, but we don't think of them as technology anymore because they right. just work. So, you know, our goal as a company is to basically move the needle on, on a lot more products from being technology to not being technology. And, and I just, I love that description of it. I, I love that, that thought process that, that when we think of technology, we think of something new. The goal is to not think of it as new, to just let it impact our lives and improve our lives. Good. There's a lot of technology that we take for granted and, and the context is a good example of that. So. Absolutely things that were challenging and difficult to come up with that are now commonplace. Okay, thanks for the quote, I like that. And Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, cl classic book, classic BBC TV series, just love that. Yes, yes. How can people find out about you, more about you and the work that your company's doing? So sure, centercode.com. The two words together, centercode.com. There's an enormous amount of information, obviously about us, but also about customer validation. You know, we really work hard to be thought leaders and produce an enormous amount of free content that can teach you anything and, and everything that I said today. It's actually very important to us that, that we don't have secret sauce. We, we really wanna solve this problem as broadly as possible. So in addition to being a, a technology and a software company and a, and a company that delivers these services as well, we think of ourselves as a publisher and we just put out constant information. So there's a, a lot there that I think people can drive, um, drive from. Absolutely. And I appreciate that. And that's why we're talking. Uh, we wanna get resources out to product managers and value into their hands. And the information about testing is very good. And then anyone that needs more help implementing this, they know they can talk to you. Great. Great. Luke, thank you so much. Appreciate your time.
Thank you very much, sir. Have a good day. Thanks again for listening to The Everyday Innovator, where product leaders and managers make their move to product master. That's through practical knowledge and influence and more confidence so that you can create products that customers love. We had a great discussion with Luke. We built a action guide along with detailed show notes for you, additional resources for you to get more value out of this discussion. You'll find those at theeverydayinnovator.com slash 296. Keep innovating. Thank you for listening to The Everyday Innovator, which teaches product managers to become product masters. For more resources, please visit theeverydayinnovator.com.